got a few screws loose since the days of my youth. It's a few screws loose podcast. I got a few screws loose, and I'm telling you the truth. It's a few screws loose podcast. I got a few screws loose. You don't really want proof. It's a few screws loose podcast. I got a few screws loose. Why do's what I do? It's a few screws loose podcast. Welcome back to another episode of A Few Screws Loose, the podcast where we have mental health discussions by mentally ill men of color. My name is Dan and I'm your host. You can keep up with me on Twitter and on IG at I am Dan on drugs. You can also keep up with the show on Twitter, IG, as well as YouTube at Screws Loose Pod. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to support the show, check out some of our merch on our website. And that's a few screws loose dot com forward slash shop. We got a few T-shirts to choose from, some of which I think are pretty damn dope. I want to give a quick shout out to the Breaks Media Network, one of the dopest collective of black podcasts out there. And much like A Few Screws Loose being an award-winning podcast, the Breaks Media Network is an award-winning podcast network. So that should tell you the type of caliber we're talking when I say some of the dopest podcasts out there. So anyway, if you like A Few Screws Loose, I'm pretty sure you'll find one or two or more podcasts on the Breaks Media Network that you will enjoy. Today's topic, I want to... Again, try to keep it short and simple and to the point. It's it's more of a complex thing with me, though. And it's also something that is not uncommon in our community. That's growing up without a father, not having a father in the household. So I often think and wonder, how has not having a father in the household or in my life How did that affect me? I have no answer. I don't know because I have nothing to compare it to. Literally, I've never had even, you know, a father figure. So I I don't have anything to compare not having a father to other than not having a father. So some of the things I can say, though, is not having a father or coming from a single single parent household. That was the norm in my neighborhood. And we were okay with that. We thought that was perfectly normal. We didn't see anything wrong with it because that's all we knew was not having a pops. And that's all we saw was our friends not having a pops. So it took, um, you know, going to school, elementary school, and you start to meet more kids from other areas of the city And you start to see, you know, here and there, some people have two parent households and you're like, what the fuck? You got a father for real? Where you find one of those at? Where your mama find one of those? Where they make them? Because (laughs) we didn't have we just like I said, most of us didn't have fathers. So we also grew up in a time of toxic masculinity, like the 80s and 90s. That was like the height of toxic masculinity. Like, you know, 
to be a man, you, you got to be tough. Boys don't cry and you don't show emotion. Shit like that, man. Um, So one of the things that I can say is I didn't have anyone to teach me how to be tough. My mother, she was tough in her own right, being a single mother who lived in the hood. Now, she wasn't from the hood. She didn't grow up in the hood. My mother grew up in in a two-parent household, multiple siblings. The reason we were in the hood is because after she ended up leaving my father, yo, that's all she could afford. So we uh, there's really a whole long story behind that but just going to skip over that and say we ended up in the hood so one of the things that I can say definitely affected me as a child by not having a two-parent household is there wasn't two sources of income so my father he had a job I mean we knew who the nigga was but He never contributed to the household. He never contributed to my upbringing. And uh, my grandparents actually took on his responsibility and would give my mama a check every now and then for, you know, a hundred dollars here, 150 bucks there. And it was, um, I guess their way of trying to step in and make up for, they knew, they knew that their son was wrong by not being in his son's life. So poverty, living in extreme poverty, that's one thing I can attribute to not having a father because, again, my father always had a job, made decent money. He always lived way better than what we lived. So that's one of the things. Uh, Another thing is, you know, like I said, didn't have anybody to teach me how to be tough. I didn't have anybody to teach me how to fight. That's um my mama. She's the complete opposite of me. She is. She's a pacifist. She doesn't believe in violence. And, you know, if somebody hits you, you better go tell an adult or tell tell the teacher or whatever. We know that shit don't work, but that's the type of person she was. So I never had anybody teach me how to fight. And I remember like one of my first fights being scared to death because I didn't know what to do other than try to hurt the shit out of some uh, out of the kid I was fighting and uh, I did just that but it's like I never had anyone to teach me how to do that so I started doing things like playing the piano uh I mentioned this I think last episode and talking about liking what you like I took piano lessons, played the piano. I took violin lessons, played the violin. Always, I've always been kind of attracted to music in one one way or another. But all the other kids in my neighborhood, they were doing shit like selling drugs, <laughs> robbing, robbing people, and um, playing football. So I'm like, I decided to give football a go. And that was my first interaction with an adult male that I guess I would consider him a role model. And that was my coach. Uh, My first year playing football, I made the all-star team, the city's all-star team. And, yo, I give all the credit to him because when I came in there, I was soft, yo. 
I did not want to get tackled, but more, more than that, I did not want to tackle anybody. Like it, it took playing football for me to, I guess, start to, to find an outlet for my aggression. So w- once coach Ray that I, I never forget coach Ray, man, you acting like a little bitch out there. Number 80, you acting like a little bitch out there. He wouldn't call you by your name until he liked you or unless he liked you. Number 80, you acting like a little bitch out there. Stop, stop hitting like a bitch. And, you know, make me do extra laps, extra tackling drills, things like that. And I wanted to quit. You know, I wanted to be like, man, fuck this shit. Man, this motherfucker keeps picking on me. He's uh. Well, today they would call it bullying. He's bullying me, man, mama, my coach bullying me, my coach bullying me. And luckily, luckily, she told me to stick with it. And she's like, you know, you started you started the season, finished the season. If you don't want to play anymore after this, then don't play. So went back and I'm like and I just felt like he was just bullying me. Number 80, two extra laps. Number 80, extra, extra sprints. Number 80, extra jumping, like all that. So I'm like, why he keep fucking with me, man? He's not fucking with anybody else. Maybe one other kid like that. But now looking back, what he was doing was he saw a kid. And now this is my adult eyes looking back. He saw a kid that came in soft, that came in who I I guess it might have even been evident that I didn't have a male role model or a father because it was my mama that was dropping me off and picking me up from a football practice. So I think that was his way of toughening me up. And it damn sure worked. I like it it was effective. And that tough love shit to some people it is effective. To others it breaks them. And I can see that going both ways. But yeah, he was real tough on me that whole first season. And at the end of, well, towards the end of the first season, he started calling me by my name, Dan, Dan, Dan. So I'm like, wow, that, you know, I still didn't put two and two together, but I went from number 80 to Dan. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm Dan now. (laughs) That's, that's me. Um, Ended up, all the ballots came in for the all-star players for the city. I made that team. And by then, I'm out here. I'm, I'm like, taking, taking niggas' heads off out there, playing linebacker, sticking them. Like, man, people did not want to run in my direction because I threw all caution to the wind. And I would, like, <laughs> we ain't know nothing about no CTE or concussions or nothing. I would, like, try to... Yeah, I would I would try to hurt people out there, but it gave me again uh, an outlet for my aggression, this pent up aggression that I didn't know that I had. So didn't pops never showed up to any of my football practices. He knew I played football because word got back to him. Um, He never showed up to any of my games. And when he found out that I made the city's all star team, for some reason he decided that's the game he was going to come to he was going to come to the all-star game and i remember it was at uh gw which is a school back home and 
the game started at, let's say, 1 o'clock. I don't remember. But he said he had a camcorder, too. Like, like we live in dirt poor. This nigga got camcorders and shit, multiple cars, you know, a nice house. And we living in the dirt that's going back to the whole only one income thing and nobody else contributing. However, he said he was going to come down with the video camera and videotape my all-star game. So I got kind of excited. I'm like, shit, yeah, my pops, my pops going to come through and he going to videotape the game. Man, ain't nobody going to have, you know, ain't nobody going to have the video of this game because that shit was unheard of back then. So one o'clock comes kick off. And I remember I uh, kept looking off in the stands. I would see my mama looking off in the opposing team stands like, yo, Okay, first quarter go by, no sign of them. So second quarter, again, looking around, nothing, nobody. Third quarter, fourth quarter, nobody. And I just remember seeing my mama sitting there. And I think one of my aunts might have might have came too. Um, but father was nowhere to be found. So after we lost, <laughs> uh they you had to walk walk across the middle of the field and give the other team that pretty much and say good game supposed to teach you sportsmanship but we would say all kinds of foul shit to the other team just because we were mad we lost so as we're walking down the line with our hands out like kind of dapping the other players up good game good game good game good game I look over and here comes my pops walking up with his video camera and a, a briefcase or the little carrying case. Like, what the? Why the fuck are you here? So uh, my mama goes up to him and is like, well, what are you doing? Why are you here? It was like three thirty, four o'clock or whatever at this point. So he's like, I thought you told me the game started at uh, 3.30. Not no one o'clock. Nigga, please. You knew what time the game started. So, you know, that that's just something, a childhood memory that sticks out. So he was never there for any of my athletic stuff. And what's crazy is my father was a high school football player, quarterback. So you would think that if your only son at the, at the time, your only son was playing a sport that you played, that you loved, that you would go, nah, it ain't work like that. Now, one of the things I looked for growing up in not having a father was protection it's like men are the protectors of the family and that might be an outdated way of thinking but it's still what i believe is and that's because that's how i grew up as far as you know what we were taught or whatnot is a man is supposed to protect the family that's what we are here for and i i remember growing up feeling vulnerable not having any protection and things like in our neighborhood, people will get their houses broken into stuff like that. It's like without a man around, like what 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 kind of protection do you really have? You know, so I remember and I said this in a previous episode is I've always felt unsafe. And that can actually even be tied in to my anxiety disorder, because in all honesty, that's. That's like my main thing is just feeling like I'm unsafe in in every possible situation. But 
There was no protection in my household. By the time I became a teenager, 13 years old, I was the protection in the household. Now, that's kind of scary when a 13 year old is the protection of the household. But in my mind, at 13, I'm damn near grown. So no protection. Um, Some of the other things was positive uh, reinforcement or praise from a male figure. Um, I never got that from Coach Ray. He, like I said, he was hard on me. He was tough on me. He toughened my ass up, made me an all-star football player, but never really got the good job or I'm proud of you type of shit. And not that as an adult, that wouldn't make or break me. But as a developing child, I would think that some positive reinforcement from a man as you're trying to become a man is like that. That's good money right there. You know, that's that's something that probably can't be matched. I I wouldn't know. I didn't have it. I didn't have anyone to tell me, yo, I was proud of you or, yo, I'm proud of you for accomplishing this or doing that or whatever. So always looking for praise. The only praise I ever got were from niggas in the neighborhood. So slowly in trying to look up to people, well, trying to look up to a male role model, all I had was niggas in the neighborhood, the older, older niggas in the neighborhood who might have been four or five years older and they came from broken households too. So they don't even know that, you know, their role models, so to speak, kind of like these athletes who get on TV and say, man, I ain't nobody's role model. I ain't trying to be no role model. I'm just trying to play the game. Well, nigga, you are a role model, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not. So these niggas was our role models, (laughs) the dudes running the streets, selling drugs or whatever. And they were the ones that were actually giving us the positive reinforcement. So we were getting the positive praise and reinforcement from negative people. That's like, it's so conflicting. So it made me feel happy at least to hear niggas selling drugs or whatever, giving me praise for doing something that was probably illegal, you know? And the more I got that praise, the more I wanted to do it. So let's say, for instance, uh, now this is hypothetical. Let's say stealing a car, right? 13 years old, steal a car, go joyriding, and then you bring the car back to the neighborhood. Some of the older heads see the car and they're like, yo, where you get this car from? I stole the joint. Oh, yo, that's what's up. Good job. Whatever, whatever. Yo, you mind if we take it? Nah, go ahead. You done told me good job. <laughs> so it, you know, things like that. Um, they, they would, some of the older people would give us their crack. Now, not me particularly in this situation, but some of the adult teenagers, 18, 19, they would give their crack that they were selling to the 11, 12 year olds because they knew if an 11 or 12 year old kid gets arrested, they're just going to the juvenile detention center, if not just going home on probation or whatever. But that was their way of not going to jail. So they would get the little kids to sell their drugs, sell their crack or whatever. And it was the same thing. Like 
yo, you just sold a hundred dollars worth of crack. Yo, here's 20 bucks. And 10, 11, 12 year old kids like, yo, shit, I just made $20, yo. And the nigga told me good job. So now I need to make him proud, prouder or, you know, more proud by continuing to do what it is I'm doing. So there was a lot of that looking up to the street niggas, looking up to criminals, looking up to just some pretty, pretty despicable people, to be honest with you. Some of them were uh, deadbeat fathers themselves. <laughs> and it's like, how ironic is that? I am looking for some sort of um, praise or acknowledgement from a deadbeat father because I have a deadbeat father. The irony in that. <laughs> but yeah, some of them were deadbeat fathers. Some of them were woman beaters, um, you know, misogynist. And all of these things were passed down to us. And when I say us, I mean my generation of kids in the neighborhood. So without a father there to say, yo, you need to stay away from um, stay away from them niggas or whatever to step in and put his foot down. Um, Whether or not it would have worked, I don't know. But just just a thought, I guess, if I had a father, would I have ran the streets with the drug dealers? And like I said, as Hillary Clinton would call them, the basket of deplorables or super predators, would I have run the streets with them if I had a father at home? I'd like to think not, but I, I don't know. I really don't know. Now, uh, another way that I think not having a father may have affected me. And again, this is all speculation and me thinking out loud is I know everyone's familiar with the phrase, wait till your father gets home. That phrase meant nothing to me because I'd been waiting my whole life for my father to get <laughs> to get home. So that meant nothing to me. So I like I said, I ran wild, ran in the streets, whatever, got locked up. Um, and I've done multiple episodes about, you know, my multiple arrest, um, getting locked up as a juvenile and this, that and the other. So while I was locked up, um, one of the counselors thought it would be a great idea to reconnect me with my father at 13, 14 years old. So. I don't even know how they orchestrated this because the nigga was late to my all-star football game. So it's like, how are you going to get this nigga to show up to some kind of a counseling or whatever at the detention center? Well, sure enough, he showed up. And I remember everybody in the detention center, we there was just like an open room for visitors. And they walked by and they like, yo, who the fuck is that to see you? Looked at him. I was like, oh, my father. Damn, that's your father? Nigga, I've known you my whole life. I've never seen your father. And so it, it was weird. But I go in to the room and the counselor, I think her name was Miss Shirley. She was like, um, uh, Dan, your father has some things he, he wants to express to you. OK, so look, Dan's father, uh, what would you like to say to your son? Uh, you, 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 you think all these kids in here are your friends? Actually, yeah, they are. These kids ain't nothing but trouble. 
I must be nothing but trouble, too, because I'm sitting in here with him. These kids ain't your friends. They, you know, they don't got your back. Coming from the person who made me, who has never been there for me. You you have the audacity to tell me who has my back. Really? This is what we doing. So shit was entertaining as fuck. So I'm like, are we done? And Miss Shirley's like, oh, you know, trying to make this whole situation. I'm sure in her head, she was doing some dope, um, dangerous minds. And for those of you who are too young to remember dangerous minds, Google it. <laughs> trying to do some old dangerous minds. I'm going to get through to this family and these kids. Man, get that nigga the fuck out of here. I'm 14 years old. I don't I've never really interacted with them. So get them the fuck out of here, man. And yes, these people in here are my friends. And actually, to this day, I still consider some of the people that I was locked up with friends. And yes, they did have my back when we got out and hit the streets. So, yeah, I don't know what what he what script he was reading. He that nigga was reading the wrong play or some shit. I don't know where he like I'm I don't know would have made him say half the shit he said and i can also tell that he didn't want to be there he was uncomfortable as fuck around a bunch of ghetto ass hood niggas because that that's who was locked up with me and um so anyway get out and another memory i have is it's funny because all of the memories that i have kind of revolve around court systems and shit like that so miss shirley who was a counselor slash therapist um, she thought it would be a good idea. After This is, you know, way after I got out that me, my mother and my father and her go out to a restaurant and have something to eat and, you know, sit down and talk. Right. Little did I know that they was planning some shit behind my back. So Miss Shirley, I guess, thought it would be a good idea for me to go live with my father for a little while because, you know, missing out on having a father, blah, blah, blah. This will give you some time to catch up, get to know your father, get to know your son, give your mother a break. So we're sitting there at this restaurant and I'm just looking at this nigga like, well, again, what are we doing here? So Miss Shirley looks over and says, well, we have some news that we wanted uh, to share with you. Um, Mom, would you like to share the news? Yeah, you're going to be going to live with your father for a little while. Make me. <laughs> and that's I'm like, what? So, yeah, uh, because Miss Shirley thinks it will be a good idea to help you get your life back on track. Now, I'm probably like 16, late 16s or something at this time. I don't even remember how old I was, but I'm like I'm old enough to say, fuck y'all. I'm out. So I get up from the table, walk out the restaurant walk home and that like I didn't see my father again for a couple years after that so <laughs> I remember I made it home my mama walks through the door and she was like I knew you'd be here I knew I'd find you here like yeah so what, what, what was that about ma well Miss Shirley thinks that you know you staying with him I help you stay out of trouble no ma it's too late for him it's too late to, I guess, kind of fast forward a little more, I guess, more or less, I'm just talking about the what the few interactions I guess I had with my father. Now, I would see him from time to time at my grandmother's house. 
And this is what, what also was crazy is my father was a car mechanic, right? Auto mechanic. My mother's cars was always like fucked up and old and raggedy when she could afford a car. Like her first car she got, I want to say it was in the early 90s and it was like a 1980 Pontiac Bonneville. Like one of them big metal block, big metal square joints. And we used to call it the boat because that motherfucker goes as big as a boat. But she always had fucked up cars that had problems. This nigga's an auto mechanic. He works at a garage. Never, ever fixed shit on my mama's car. This is the same car that his son's riding around in, mind you. This was before getting locked up and all that. But um, never bothered to fix her cars. And he would actually charge her whatever the going rate was for whatever the the project was and i'm pretty sure from the stories i've heard of him he probably charged her a lot more than whatever the repair was because that's the type of shit he he was just known for so like man that's is just my interactions with him so i would see him at my grandmother's house from time to time just in passing yo what's up and you know kind of keep it moving and I'm going to, I guess, sum up my interactions with him with one of the last ones was in 2015. I went to go visit my grandmother who's getting up there in age. And she is one of the people that were instrumental in raising me. And I'm like, yo, I got to go see my grandma. I ain't seen her in a while. Get up there. She wants to have the whole family get together at her house uh, because me and Becky were in town. So I already got kind of apprehensive. I'm like, damn, grandma, you know, I'm just here to see you. I didn't say this to her, but I'm thinking I'm just here to see you, grandma. I'm here to spend time with you. And uh, so she got the whole family together, including this nigga and his like 14 other kids. So. I'm just like, uh, I don't even know half of my stepbrothers and sisters. That's how disconnected from, you know, that's that his side of the family I am. So he steps outside, I guess, as I'm I only remember why we were outside. I think I might have been leaving, maybe. But he comes outside and he's like, man, you know, I'm really, really really trying to be there for my two sons his uh his youngest two sons and you know I'm going through a whole lot of shit with my wife man and you know normally I wouldn't take this normally I would have left her ass but I'm staying for my sons and you know it's just a bad situation I'm in again staying for my sons because I need to be there for them because I saw the mistakes that I made with you and um you know, I saw I see the separation that's between us. And, you know, I hate it. I hate that I wasn't around for you when you were a kid. All that shit fell on, fell on deaf ears like, nigga, go talk to your therapist about that. Don't talk to me about it because, you know, I don't care how you feel. As insensitive as that may sound, I don't give a fuck how you feel. You know, you you I don't know what your aim was. Whether it's just, you know, I need to get this off my chest. Nigga, keep that shit on your chest. I don't need it. 
or you know you want me to feel some kind of sympathy or whatever like damn man you know i'm glad you finally came to your sense nigga fuck you and your feelings they don't do shit for me so i'm like oh yeah all right man all right yeah hang in there hang in there in that fucked up marriage just for them kids go for it bro (laughs) and i bounced and that was like one of the last that was the last time i actually saw him so um you know i always say that him not being there was one of the best things that ever happened to me because of how misogynistic he was and how controlling he was over women and he had multiple 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 side babies as we like to call them in our community um you know cheated on his wife had a baby cheated on his wife again had two more babies then married the second baby mother after his wife divorced him and like all that shit i'm glad that i didn't have to grow up with that you know in a household with a cheating father having babies all over the damn place but at the same time would i have liked to have a father period probably um but i think i managed i think i managed and I think the man I am today is the best man that I can be with or without a father. I am the best man that I can be, period, because I put in the work as far as to better myself. I put in the work to acknowledge some of my shortcomings, some of my flaws Take the necessary steps to try to correct them. No, I'm not perfect. Nobody is. But I am very proud of who I've become despite my upbringing, despite the circumstances, uh, a lot of the shit that went on in my life, despite being a high school, well, uh, eighth grade, junior high school dropout, despite spending so many years in juvenile detention facilities, despite running the streets, Despite, you know, just being into a a life of crime, so to speak, despite all that, I can sit here today and say that without a doubt, I am the best man that I can be. And that's not even no bullshit that I try to tell myself to pump myself up because each each of those missteps along the way I've corrected and I'm also in a position right now. That a lot of men my age or a lot of men, period, have not been in, you know, Hove did that. So you wouldn't have to go through that. I'm in a position to where a lot of the shit, a lot of the shit that I did, I can speak on from experience. And, you know, the saying, you know, each one teach one. So I can speak on being locked up as a kid. I can speak on, you know, running the streets at all hours of the night. I can speak on being involved in a life of crime and like I have so many experiences that I can speak on and I can pass that on to somebody else. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, I said protection earlier. A man's there to protect man is also there to teach other boys how to become men. No, I didn't have anybody teach me how to become a man, but my life experiences have made me a man. And I'm in a position now where I can share that with other people and maybe possibly help them become men, too. So 
that wraps up this episode. I know it's probably a lot of rambling, but we'll see in post. <laughs> anyway, my name is Dan. You can keep up with me on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on drugs. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll have my co-host P back one day, eventually, maybe we'll see. <laughs> keep up with the show on Twitter, IG and YouTube at screws loose pod. And please, please, please leave a review. I don't ask for reviews often enough or at all. If you enjoy the show, leave a review, please. Five stars. Truly appreciate it. Till next time, people. Peace.